Thanks for leading us, Tom. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 15 today, uh, doing something, I guess, as far as the last couple of weeks have looked, slightly different, um, whereas uh, oftentimes we would uh, kind of extract one particular verse or small set of verses and, and focus in on those. As, as I was preparing uh, for this coming Sunday uh, to lead us through Acts chapter 15, I quickly realized how jam-packed the chapter actually is. And so um, I would really encourage you all, if, if you do have a way to access the Scriptures, I would encourage you to find Acts chapter 15 we're actually going to read through the whole thing in chunks. And so we'll do some reading, and then I just have a few thoughts to share um, about that passage that we would have read. And then we'll read another passage, and I'll share a few more thoughts and read another passage, share a few more thoughts. But what I'm hoping and what I'm trusting and believing is that um, each and every one of you, I would, I would imagine several times throughout uh, this chapter something's going to speak to you. There, there are a couple of different narratives happening within the chapter, and within those narratives, there are some jam-packed sentences that hold a lot of weight and hold a lot of implications. And so, um, with those things in mind, um, just want to let you know the themes that we're going to confront this morning um, in really quick ways, but we're going to look at themes like um, what was believed before might not be the best thing to believe anymore. That's an interesting theme. We're, we're going to look at, on the surface, people going against tradition. Kind of scary, right? <laughs> but that's what's going to be happening. We're going to look at themes like um, putting unnecessary pressure on those who don't follow Jesus yet. That's a big one. That's a huge one. It's putting pressure on people who, and we say yet on purpose, right? We've been saying that from day one, is they don't follow Jesus yet. We're going to talk about themes like just boiling it down to wanting what's best for people. That's an interesting theme. And last but not least, and it's going to be the most confusing section to me, disagreements between Christians. <laughs> it's September in an election year, ladies and gentlemen. Big stuff, so let's dive in. Acts chapter 15, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 to get us started. would encourage you to follow along with me. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and were teaching the believers the following. Unless you are circumcised according to custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with those who were teaching that. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria. They told how the Gentiles had been converted. With this news, all of the believers became very glad. 
When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, saying, Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by their faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it as though the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. We'll take a quick pause there. There's a particular type of behavior of some, not all, but some religious folks that persists in requiring either literally in person or mentally from a distance requiring others to make their way to Jesus the exact same way that we did. It's an ancestor problem. It's a tradition problem. In the Scriptures, it's a Pharisee problem. That's the problem of the Pharisees, is that all of these people need to get to Jesus the same exact way that we did either literally in person, people who are actually in charge of the temples, the churches, the gathering places, or mentally, as in this case, the Pharisees don't even know the names and the stories and the faces of these Gentiles that Paul and Barnabas are saying, yo, they got saved. The Holy Spirit is on them just like it is us. And these Pharisees are able to just disconnect stuff in their minds and say, no, they're not saved. They need to be circumcised because we were circumcised. So this is how that can play out, either the, the mental or the, the, the literal in-person requiring of folks in some way is like saying the same prayers, the same beliefs, the same classes, the same experiences, and the same traditions must be the ways in which all come to know the Lord. <laughs> it's like saying that. Got to do this, got to do that, got to do this, got to do that in order for you to get to the Lord. Peter, and a lot of you know this, earlier on in Acts, Peter has that encounter with Cornelius in Acts chapters 10 and 11. And he has a unique connection with Jesus on earth. If you're familiar with the gospel stories Peter's the guy. Jesus takes Peter to the side and goes, you're the one. 
who's going to lead this early expression of church and Jesus followers and, and Christians. And so it would be right for him, the one who was with Cornelius, the one who was with Jesus, it would be right for him to say what he does in verses 10 or 11. This is my paraphrase. Look, guys, not even we can keep up with our own traditions. <laughs> Whatever they are, right? We can't even do that. What good are we going to do to put those burdens on others? What good could possibly be done? Is what I feel like Peter is saying. We can't even do it. The people that we do those traditions in the name of can't even do it. How are we putting that on others? I think what Peter is saying is that, in fact, we need to view God's kingdom as a kingdom of grace. A kingdom of grace. Let's move on. Let's pick it back up with verse 12. I love this verse. I love this verse 12. The whole assembly became silent. <laughs> they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up, saying, Brothers, listen to me. Simon, who is also Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. But the words of the prophets are also in agreement with Paul and Barnabas, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. This is James still talking. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and it is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. We'll pause there for just a brief moment. So here's a question. Have you ever audibly broken the silence of an incredibly tense and awkward moment? <laughs> Have you ever broken the silence of an incredibly awkward moment? Compound on top of that, that what you have to say is in support of the person who silenced the room, right? There's not only this tense moment, but the only thing that you have to say is, I think they're right. <laughs> Here we find James. The prophet that James is quoting is the prophet Amos, which would be uh, a book in the Old Testament. 
Amos being one of the prophets that were, were drawn from by the early Christians, but still us today. And James continues on and says that what Peter said lines up with the prophets that everyone in the room held as credible. And that was, that's the powerful part of what James is saying, is he looks out to the whole room and he says, okay, you want to talk about Moses? Let's talk about some of the other prophets that we're all in agree with. Peter is saying that Barnabas and Paul are right. And then he continues on and he uses reason by considering the prophet Amos and Peter's experience with Cornelius saying, we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning from God. And here's my paraphrase. Instead, we should write to them and advise them with their best interests in mind. We're going to get to a letter in just a moment. We're going to get to the actual letter that they write. But here we have, we have two incredible things that are being said at the same time. Let's not make it difficult. That's just one big thing already is we shouldn't make it hard. But then also to say, let's support them with their best interests in mind. And it takes a lot to be able to do that in that moment for, and we don't know if this is true or not, <clears throat> but if James convinced even one Pharisee, this will speak to a few of you, if he convinced even one Pharisee that they should do that now, then what that Pharisee would have to do is say, I had to do this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and you expect me to believe that we can just make it easier for him? I had to do so much. I've been there. I have been there before. I've been there thinking I've done X, Y, Z, I've checked every box, and they get to be a part of the church. They get to be baptized. They get to be in a Sunday school class. They get to go on the youth group field trip thing. I've been there. Maybe you have been there too. But in order for us to agree with, with James, we have to get there. That's what's being said. That's what's being said. Let's pivot. Let's keep going. Verse 22. Then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own people and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. And then with them, they sent the following letter. Here's the letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, and I love the fact that they called them believers, right? They didn't just say the Gentiles. They, they say, you're believers, we get it, to the Gentile believers. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us 
not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers <clears throat> excuse me, with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Excuse me. So there are two significant things that are being said in this letter. And I want to highlight them. The first is repentance. And don't miss it. In the first two sentences of the letter, we read about church leaders admitting that they were wrong. And not only that, but doing something to make it right. Is that not refreshing to see? That's pretty cool. This is the model for true Christian leadership. To be able to admit when you're wrong. <laughs> I believe that. Be able to admit when you're wrong, and not only that, but work to make it right. So don't miss that. Don't miss the repentance in this letter. I'm going to pivot there. This isn't in my notes. It's a beautiful thing when the church can apologize to someone for what the church has done. Are you with me? That's massive. That's massive. I'm, I'm so glad that we're a part of a church. <clears throat> I'm glad we're a part of the same church. But y'all, churches have hurt people. People from all walks of life, for a million different reasons, churches and church folk like you and I, and we have to own this. We, we can't dismiss it. Church folk, we are part of a larger group that have hurt some people. And it is a profound thing for us to be able to apologize on behalf of the church that we want to be a part of when we're talking about salvation, right? We want to be a part of the church then. So let's also be a part of the church and kind of own this responsibility to make things right and admit that we've been wrong, and not only admit that we've been wrong, but make it right. I'm going to stop there. Amen. Thank you. Second thing that this letter shows us is verse 28. Paints a beautiful picture of what it looks like for believers to live in cooperation with God. I am blown away by this verse. It seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to us. Isn't that incredible? It seemed right, because you know what they weren't able to draw from? A church manual. You know what they weren't able to draw from is, is the things that would happen a few centuries later when we do get the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and we get canonization of the Scriptures and some kind of foundational church father stuff that happens, but you know what they weren't able to draw from was policy and procedure. And they were in a moment where they were seeing a group of people getting torn down 
and they either had to reconcile that that is not how Jesus would treat these people, or they would have to repent and make it right. Two options. Those are the only ones. You either act like Jesus would act to these folks, or you would ignore it. And so they do what we need them to do. They do what we need to do more of. Seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to us. Yeah. If you often find yourself actively or subconsciously going against in word and deed and thought the radically loving logic of God displayed in the Scriptures you find yourself from time to time having a thought, saying something, and then you go, man, I shouldn't have thought that. God wouldn't have thought that, wouldn't have said that. I want you to know that that same God, by the Spirit, help fills in that gap if we submit to one another. And when I say submit, I don't mean that everyone in the room has to pick one person in the room and then everyone does what that person says. I'm talking about to be able to sit at a table to share thoughts and ideas, to hear one another, to listen. That is, that is submission. That's a biblical picture of submission, is I'm going to put down my predispositions, I'm going to put down my preferences, and the only thing that I want out of this moment is cooperation and union out of the people that are in this room right now. That's what it looks like for Christians to submit to one another. We need to know that we are not God ourselves, right? But we are tasked with representing God's character and logic to the world. It's a task. We've we've said before recently, we've got to keep shining light because someone has to do it. We are tasked to represent God and God's logic, God's way of thinking. The, The crazy, unpredictable backwards, upside down (laughs) kingdom, that all of those people are invited to that banquet that we read in Luke. We need to represent that. Last section, starting at verse 36. Disagreement. Here we go. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Do you see the little bit of a grudge there? Don't miss it. Don't miss these humans just being humans, right? Don't miss it. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, sailed to Cyprus. Paul took Silas and left. He was commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. This last section of Acts chapter 15 is the most mysterious one for me because people disagree all the time. But what do we do when people are disagreeing in the Bible? What do we do when 
leaders of the church are disagreeing. And I'll be honest, I'm pretty troubled by the fact that we don't get to read about any kind of attempt at reconciliation between the two parties. I'm a little bugged by that. Your pastor is bugged by the Bible. And that's an okay place to be. And the Bible doesn't say a lot. We, we read through different stories, and there are so many details that are left out, and, and that's not unique, but man, I wish that there was effort of reconciliation so that I could be able to, you know, in this world of everyone disagreeing with everyone else, go, we'll see how they figured it out, <laughs> but you know what? They didn't, <laughs> and we can't even do that. The idea of us going our separate ways and agreeing to disagree upsets me. It upsets me that this happened between Barnabas and, and John and Mark and Silas and Paul and all these people. Barnabas, I said one of their names twice. I don't like, you know what, recently, I don't like agree to disagree. I don't like that. I don't like that because that's not unifying. That's two people going their separate ways and never talking again. That's not unity, right? That's what we're seeing in the Bible. But perhaps one thing can be learned. This is the only thing I get, can get, because once again, I can't make sense of it, and I don't like it either. Even in disagreements, the mission must continue. I think one thing that can be learned from those last couple of verses in Acts chapter 15 is that if we let disagreements with other Christians bog us down and take our motivation from keeping on in the mission, we have to fight back against that. Once again, I think Christ would have us reconcile. I, I really do. I, I, think that, I think that Christ would have us reconcile, and we should try for that. Matthew chapter 18 is a great picture of reconciliation in the church, uh, going to the person you have a problem with first and then trying to have a conversation, bringing folks along. Some of you are familiar with that. And there's other passages that give us this picture of reconciliation and, and harmony and seeking cooperation. And those are very hard. And, and uh, what I would imagine is that uh, Paul didn't, was probably tired, right? <laughs> Just didn't want to deal with it. And that's why it bugs me. That, that end really bugs me. But don't get caught up on just the end. That's a big chapter. Acts chapter 15 is a big chapter. A lot of themes there. And uh, yeah, I would encourage you, maybe if you have some time throughout the rest of this week, keep, keep working with it. There's a lot going on, a lot going on.